when you're at AD, it's, it's always still your fault, <laughs> no matter if you're not directly involved or not. And it's kind of has to do with that. Yeah. It's the idea that like when you're a, of a certain position, it doesn't matter a lot of times whether you are directly involved with certain aspects, you still need to show some sort of responsibility just simply because you're in that position of power. So I, I believe that's what you're saying is that mm-hmm. he was so busy separating himself from that responsibility because maybe in reality, he did not have any involvement based off of what his position entailed. Sure. But in in this kind of tragedy, it seems insensitive to completely wipe your to to use an interview to re- wipe all responsibility from yourself when you should be saying that everybody within that higher power is trying to do the best they can to um, to figure out how to prevent problems like this from happening in the future. We are the. Get Realism's podcast. I am Adam Chase Ray. And I am Christine Chen. And surprise, we're both filmmakers. We get into it by sharing secrets, advice, and gossip in filmmaking. And we even get our other filmmaking friends to share theirs too. So please, everybody, join us for an, an ode, ode to, to filmmaking. <laughs> in this season, we get into Christine's feature-length thriller fantasy, Ursula. A small idea that made a killer swap mermaid a reality. It only took us 67 episodes. <laughs> it only took us 67 episodes to... To be relevant. <laughs> and maybe uh maybe 60 of those episodes were terrible audio. They were terrible. <laughs> so yeah, I would I would absolutely uh love to consider that. Um oh. hey yo everybody, what's up, Instagram? Um sorry if I feel a little if I sound a little stuffed up. I am. It's allergies, it's not COVID. I already had it. <laughs> and I still can't taste anything sweet still. That and it's sucks. Been, it's been since February, dude. Isn't that fucked up? I still can't. That's really like, fucked up, yes. I had a Reese's peanut butter cup, and it t- tasted like mush. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I know. I was I was almost crying. Yeah. Terrible. Well, on the line of food, um, I did one of those DNA tests with your hair to see, like, what kind of food you are, like, I guess there's certain foods that make you more inflamed or your like your body is technically allergic to. Yeah. And I kid you not, every single food that I like is what I'm allergic to. <laughs> oh shit, really? Okay, I'm we gotta talk so about it. Mad. I'm because, so mad. Because Coffee. I have a little theory about this, but we gotta oysters, start the podcast. tofu. We gotta like start the everything. Yes. We gotta start the podcast. This is part of the podcast. It is part of the podcast, but we also have to do what is called an intro. Oh, yes, our introduction. What we just did was a cold open, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So this is going to be the intro of the podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode 67 of the Get Realisms podcast. You heard that right, folks. 67 episodes. We're not fucking around here. Get Realisms podcast. I am Adam Chase Rennie. And I am Christine Chen. And look at that, ladies and gentlemen, we are here and Christine is allergic to 
everything. Everything. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm so mad. I part of me wishes that I actually didn't take the test, so I just wouldn't know. Oh, so you would kill yourself with all the uh, well, the numbiest foods that you're allergic to? It's inflammation. So, like, what is that? Does this just mean you get puffy and stuff? I don't know if it like necessarily kills you. Um, I don't know, but it just says it's not that I'm like. It just says I get inflamed. I don't know what that means, but every time I eat an oysters and tofu and uh, crawfish, which is a lot, like nothing, mm. I feel fine. But I guess I need to try to not eat those things. But that's, but then there's this fine line of like that stuff sparks lots of joy in me. Right? <laughs> Do I really care to lose that joy just for help? Like just because of studies saying that I'm have more inflammatory my body dna if it becomes more inflamed if i eat those foods i don't know i'm a very do you become flames it. It, it just says i guess it's if you're inflamed it just you just get more puffy and you yeah. get like no i get yeah. it. it just i i so, try to make a terrible joke but yeah, it's terrible thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're allergic to everything but like so you only it's it's inflammatory foods yeah basically it's it's and it's the it's annoying because it's not even like unhealthy crap i was expecting like oh gluten and like i don't know fried shit and um just stuff i usually don't eat but no it's like healthy stuff that i yeah the good shit yeah Yeah, the good stuff how could it tofu like what the hell that people eat that yeah yeah what yeah so i'm really mad um i haven't processed it entirely yet but uh Yes, I. Yes. When did you get this? Like, what? When did this happen? I got the results yesterday, and I I looked at it, and I was like, "What the f?" And then I closed it. <laughs> so right now I'm in denial. Oh, I'm in I'm denial right now. Yeah, I'm just in denial. I can't imagine not eating crawfish. Like, that sounds. For those of you who awful. don't know, Christine's a real like food is her vice. This is like food is is everything to her. So yeah. like the fact that you know crawfish is gonna have to like somehow be in some way, shape, or form eliminated from her diet and not part of her life, it's pretty heartbreaking. It's pretty yes. heartbreaking. That's like you know, that's like telling a basketball player who like broke his ankle like he can't play basketball anymore. You yeah, know? it's just like it that's is not, like that. That's not. <laughs> it isn't like that. We're not. We're not comparing. We're not comparing that, ladies and gentlemen, but. What we are going to talk about today, uh, if you want, um, I did watch the Rust interview. I don't know if. Yes, let's talk about that. I didn't watch it, so you're going to have to tell me about it. So, yeah. So um, it was fascinating. The the interview, the interview, I will say, is fascinating. And it felt like. It felt like um, an interview that could have served as an opportunity to come clean about yeah. literally everything. Right. But it and wasn't a Instead, we're left from this interview with about more questions than we had even answered. Yeah. And that's kind of a problem because sure. there's conflicting information mm-hmm. and, you know, misleading. We're, we're also even avoidant. talking the, Exactly. We even talked about the discussion of uh, the camera department, even getting involved mm. with the safety and the and the lack thereof on the set, and how the camera department 
voiced their opinions via text messages, letters. And I think someone said phone call, but that's not confirmed. So it's only alleged at this point. But there's been numerous written things that were sent throughout production and throughout mm-hmm. everybody who were involved in this case um, that it was unsafe. Like the, the set was deemed unsafe and they were, all, were already having one unsafe attempts at after another after another like they just they have nothing but you know yeah yeah just like shit that was you know um sacrificing everyone's safety or at least one person's safety and um at the behest of that that was never brought up in the interview like that was just sort of like kind of crying Mm. and then even the topic of camera department listen this is this is coming from the interview so if anybody is 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 upset by this this is me reporting this this is fair use yeah so yeah. we have uh, no affiliation whatsoever no affiliation. this is but, our unbiased factual just based off of watching the interview and knowing what facts there are in existence right now your opinion it felt like um baldwin at some point tried to relinquish his responsibilities especially him in the position of producer now let's just take a step back for a second and say let's say what if alec baldwin wasn't part of the producer well then that's a completely different discussion because then he's not part of any safety meeting he's not part of any you know real um you know what like call sheet like how the schedules are made whatever everything right that comes with production He was part of that, and he is producer. And he went on the interview and said that he was only affiliated with casting and that that was as far as his responsibility got. And that, to me, is a little suspect. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate on that because that's not uncommon to be a producer only in a certain aspect. Um, And I'm going to link it back to Ursley. I have technically three producers, but one of them definitely was more of a creative producer. So she was involved in just casting alone. And then she came on, Candace, she came on set and would point out stuff like, oh, whatever was within the frame, what she she liked or did not like um, to protect the integrity for when distribution came. So in terms of logistics, she really had zero involvement in much of the logistics. Sometimes she would like make a comment here and there, but like when it comes to like actual being involved in, with logistics, she wasn't. So that's why I am playing devil's advocate because I understand that standpoint too. And I think the world doesn't realize that there are these differences in producer and responsibilities. When you think producer, you think that they're involved with every aspect of the film. And yeah, sure, there are people like that that are of that kind of producing. But if he, what he's saying is he, he was more of a creative producer, then it's he not was only wrong. In casting. That's Correct. The only alleged. It's not wrong for him to, to say that um, no. because because that does change significantly how involved and how much responsibility he does have. So, right. 
Yeah. And in so. that case, yes, I, I absolutely agree. Um, it does not change the fact that he was and is, and even admitted that he was involved in some of these safety meetings, in some of the safety precautions that he right he knew about. And he even talked that he spent an hour and a half with said prop gun practicing, rehearsing, all that. Mm-hmm. That's fine and dandy. But the problem is, is that you went through all this trouble with the safety yet didn't bother to go through another safety procedure because he was, his whole thing was like how he wanted to make sure he had a safe set on, on his side of the responsibility. So he just wanted to make sure that, Hey, listen, I did my job in in making sure that this set is full is going to be responsible for the safety that is, that is being, presented what we're trying Mm -hmm. to what we're trying to make here Mm -hmm. um but what he failed to do was follow up with that that's that's my thing and he never in what i'm seeing followed up with he never Mm -hmm. followed up with with anything in in terms of how they were gonna how they were gonna position themselves and how they were going to and also too on top of this this was only a shot that joel the director Mm -hmm just threw in this wasn't yeah. part of the script so right. and even and, and and to his credit even the dp agreed the dp was also um you know helena she she was very much just like yeah okay let's let's go ahead and add this scene and they rehearsed it and according to alec baldwin's and trigger warning by the way everybody this this might get a little violent um when he was rehearsing the scene alec he pulled the hammer of the prop gun and the prop gun hammered back, thus fired off a projectile. So mm. he's saying that he never pulled the trigger verbatim. Like he just, he never, he never really actually pulled on the trigger. They were just rehearsing through a scene and they were trying to frame the gun right. And he pulled the hammer back and the hammer snapped and it, oh okay well that's weird that's weird okay so he's saying he never pulled the trigger but the the act of pulling back the hammer was the intention of locking it right and not firing that was the point but then the hammer just snapped and hit the i guess the barrel of the gun i'm not a gun Mm -hmm. expert everybody i don't the barrel of the gun and then the projectile shot thus okay yeah so that's that's his story and mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not denying it i i'm it it probably happened you know mistakes or a misfire prop gun probably happened um but it just felt like he wasn't including himself with the production you know what i mean like he just he wasn't really like saying like i we're gonna get to the bottom of this like mm-hmm. me and everyone else on this team, including the executive producers, fucking mm-hmm. just make something up at this point. You, you mm-hmm. already are, if you are. Just say that we're all going to get involved to really get to the bottom of what really happened mm-hmm. and how we can prevent this from happening even ever again. He should have made yeah. that disclaimer, but instead- I see what you're like, saying. He, Listen, and I'm not trying to say he's victimizing himself. Uh, right. That's, that's exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to say. Uh, what I am saying, though, is his story 
lacks awareness of the production that was also involved with the safety precautions of everything. Yeah, I see so what you're saying. It's just as much on them as it is on Alec, if not probably right. more on the crew. Right. And Alex yeah. not taking credit where credit's due. That's right. what I'm saying. Yeah, I can see that. It's the idea of like, I always joke about how <clears throat> when you're an AD, it's it's always still your fault, <laughs> no matter if you're not directly involved or not. And it's kind of has to do with that. Yeah. It's the idea that like when you're a, of a certain position, it doesn't matter a lot of times whether you are directly involved with certain aspects you still need to show some sort of responsibility just simply because you're in that position of power so i i believe that's what you're saying is that mm -hmm. he was so busy separating himself from that responsibility because maybe in reality he did not have any involvement based off of what his position entailed sure. but in in this kind of tragedy, it seems insensitive to completely wipe your, to, to use an interview to wipe all responsibility from yourself when you should be saying that everybody within that higher power is trying to do the best they can to, um, to figure out how to prevent problems like this from happening in the future. That's all. That's all I was saying. Just yeah, create I can preventional see that. awareness instead of just victimizing yeah. yourself in the situation. I can see that um, definitely, especially when I'm sure he was still very aware of that camera department and several departments had. And he walked. said he wasn't. He said the only ah. thing that he was aware of was that one of the camera. I think he said the first. Uh, I need to get that right. I don't know. He he said one of the ACs, one of the assistant camera uh asked for a hotel room mm -hmm. and he he basically said that this is the budget that we have this is what this is this is all that we got right and pretty much denied him however he, the camera it goes way way far farther past especially with receipts that the camera department even showed with text messages and letters yeah that alec never even brought up yeah so why why hide that if you want to have a, an honest transparent set that it relies on safety especially mm -hmm. through all the actions that they're making and choreographing right. and training and practicing right. every every day almost yeah and you mean it's only that this slipped through the cracks like you know i listen i i'm not i'm not one to you know uh, demand at all the truth and nothing but the truth because there's some shit that is just worth holding back because it doesn't need to be shed by light. Mm -hmm. However, if you do deem yourself that you want to have the most safe as possible set as, as, as you can, then transparency comes with that. Yes, and of course. Also, also, if something happens, somebody's going to say something as well. Right. That's just kind of the right thing to do. That's not just like a rule, an unspoken rule in film. That's just a human thing to do you just you if you see something that just doesn't quite look right mention it mention mention it to, to somebody <laughs> you know yeah. if, if you gotta if it's threatening you know if it's something that's gonna jeopardize someone's safety yeah that's you might need to speak speak up yeah and 
it seemed like all the caution was thrown to the wind that Alec just did not address. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if anybody in the comments seen the interview and want to contradict me and say that I'm, I'm that that's not true, I would love to hear your side of it because that's kind of what I saw from this interview. Yeah, and, um, it's unfortunate because it's um, like you said, it's a little insensitive, especially when it comes to understanding the truth and the the ramification of the situation, which nobody can really define how big this was. And, you know, all Alex said was, well, all I knew was from the police report that there were rounds of live set or live rounds on set, you know, Mm -hmm. and the AD said cold gun. And then that happened. It's just like, you know, I get it, but tell me what you're going to do to prevent this in the future and also what you're going to do now to get to the bottom of this, to understand the validity of the situation. Yeah. This is such a real situation. You took a human's life. This is something worth examining. I know it's painful. I know it's hard. And I'm sure the victims and the families are absolutely heartbroken. But if I, I would love to get to the bottom of this because I don't want this shit to happen ever again. Not saying yeah. that we're going to be working with prop guns anytime soon. I think working with real fucking bullets, ladies and gentlemen, like blanks, are kind of a thing of the past. I don't. I think it's a thing of the past. I think that's what it needs to boil down to. Yeah. I think there. I think there needs to be um, policies in place with film sets when it comes to live ammunition that there just shouldn't be. There's plenty of ways to cheat it now. You know, through VFX. Um, and apparently it's so cheap to create like yeah. gun effects. Like, yeah, I had guns like in my set. Adobe Premiere. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, Wait, what? We had, we had <laughs> one, two, three. We had like three guns on our set. And Ursula? yeah. Yeah, Ursula. Yeah. Remember we had the shotgun. We had um, right. the one that Rhett has. And then we have the one that uh, Isaiah has. We have three We have three guns on our set. <clears throat> but And shout out to yeah. Isaiah for, for, for yeah. safety safety precautions yeah it was reese too yeah it was definitely it was was entire art art department idea but it was like going through and plugging the gun up it was going through and um every time nobody walks off with the with the you know gun it was no matter how rushed we were matt striker always going through and walking and looking at the guns and before and after lunch, no matter, oh, we haven't, oh, the guns are locked up or we already had those guns with us 24 seven. We always did that. We were the only ones in the studio, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, but we still went through. still did it. It seems stupid sometimes, right? And and yes, just doing that adds five to 10 minutes sometimes, but like, but it is because we do that so that things like rust doesn't happen at all. There's no chance of it happening. He you, you eliminate that. So, and I think that's what's most alarming with that situation was when it happened. It was almost hard to believe at that point. It was just like, oh, wow. Um, I thought we worked years and years and years, decades of working against this, and we're doing the very fucking thing again. Um, Kirk 101 says, I didn't see the interview, but I'll have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, you know, if it's just take it for what you will. This is what I got from it. And mm -hmm. I was, I guess, expecting differently from the interview. And I'm sure some people are going to say, I mean, what did you expect? I, I, I expected a little bit of responsibility and a little sure. more awareness of the ramifications of the situation at hand, you know, and I, and I understand he says that he vows never to shoot another gun ever again on a, on, on screen. That's great. Still doesn't change the fact of what happened on that set. Happened. Right. <clears throat> right. And right now we're not, we're not blaming anybody, but we just don't, we don't have the full story at all. And honestly, I looked at two different websites and there weren't, it wasn't conclusive. It there was just not any conclusive information of, well, this is what happened. Someone brought this X had this and then Y happened, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I, I guess we just, we, we just may never know. It was in quote, a freak accident. Yeah. It could have just been like wrong place at the wrong time. Sure. But sure. also, Alec Baldwin said he went an hour and a half of practicing it with a gun. You know, and yeah. he went through all the safety and every scene that had any action in it. They repeatedly went through it over and over again. So uh, we're not going to beat this with a dead horse. I, I think I think we made our point with this. Unless there's something else you want to add, Christine, because I'm kind of curious, like what your two cents into all this. I know you haven't seen the interview unless you have. I haven't seen the interview. I've seen how it's been interpreted and summarized by people just through articles and stuff. And <clears throat> it does from your, how you're phrasing it and stuff. I can see how it can be extremely concerning that he's not taking or a bigger responsibility for it. And, um, and that's where I'm, I come into play and say that like as an AD, yeah, even if it's not your fault, you'll have a responsibility and you, it's with great, um, with, with these big roles and even if you aren't the one who caused a lightning storm or, or caused this thing to break or whatever, you still have a responsibility for it because you are ultimately still responsible for your team. It has to do, and this is a problem, I don't know if you're offended by this, I'm sorry, but it has to do with two, like the Michigan high school shooting right now. And yeah. they are, the parents are being possibly charged for involuntary manslaughter. But it's that idea of like, and it's very, it's very, I don't know how I feel about it, but it's the idea of like, you are ultimately responsible from a bigger picture, you know? I, and I, I don't know, I'm, I, it's, it sucks because I stress out about this all the time when I'm on set, because you can't protect yourself from people's stupidity either, you know? You try to, you know, account for that. Sorry, that's us. That's me. Um, okay. Yeah, you can't. You it's you try to account for it by building lots of protocol, by building rules, by yelling at people not to do certain things. But people are going to be people, and they're going to make mistakes. And I think in those moments, 
you still have to take responsibility for I, I I'm so mixed about this because <clears throat> well, we it's don't like know. if we I have there on set. So yeah, it's and really hard. the thing I is know. like let's let's say I'm I'm ADing and I told people not to walk across the street when there's a moving picture vehicle, right? And if that person still does that and gets killed, what the fuck do I do? Right? So that's where I'm extremely mixed about it because there is only so much you can do to protect people from their stupidity. This is an entirely different situation, obviously, because um, in this case, there already is a lot of evidence that there's lack of negligence for safety protocols. So this is a very different aspect. Um, Safety trickles down from the top down, right? And how a set should work is the producers allow for an environment where safety protocols are taken seriously and that time and money will not affect the time that you spend on what will keep your crew safe. And this is very hard. In the moment, it is extremely difficult. Um, and I, I, I understand that, especially when you're on the low budget and everything and you're getting pressure from, from all sides. And I'm, th- I'm talking about this from an AD perspective as well. Um, but a, a great example though, uh, on a set that I was on, it was nothing crazy in terms of safety, but um, I was on a, a, a set in LA um, in Fraser Park, uh, director Sung King, who was awesome. And we were rushing, rushing, rushing because of time and, and everything. And there was a vehicle that was parked. And when they un like hinged the brake, it started moving like slowly. But it definitely freaked out, you know, the person who was trying to give up the art person that was Nicole that was trying to give a prop to the the actor and Sung shut it down real quick and was like, let's all stop. Let's take a breather. And it was a good I mean, it was a good 15 minutes. So like we lost 15 minutes, but I appreciate that from him because he was he stopped everything. He was like, look. Yes, that wasn't that was a tiny thing. Nobody got hurt. It was the car just moved a little bit, and she freaked, freaked out a little bit. But like, there should be no reason why we should rush to the point where safety is compromised. And it takes leadership like that to ensure that everybody is safe and well. And so that's where I see what's lacking on Rust and why someone like Alec Baldwin should take responsibility for. Um, yes, maybe he wasn't involved in the logistics or it was just in the casting or whatever, but he is a producer. And maybe even saying that, hey, though I was not part of that, I want to ensure that this doesn't happen. Just simply saying that is is important, I think. Um, because it always, it starts from the top down because the producers give pressure, right? To the AD to 
to finish off something on time and under budget, right? Yeah. And then the AD is getting pressure because they're running out of time and therefore budget. And between that disconnect, it's it, one or the other has to give. The AD has to say like, well, fuck it. Like, no, we're not going to continue. Like we, we I'm going to take this extra 15 minutes to check all the guns and stuff like that. Or the producers on the top have to be like, hey, it's fine. If we go over today, that's okay because we have to check these guns, you know? So it just seems like on the set, it didn't, it, it was both problems, right? The producers probably were rushing. The AD gave into that rushing and, you know, didn't really think that that was a big deal. And then didn't do extra checks then that translated to the armor who didn't have much experience and didn't know her second set yeah her second set that's very terrible um so it all that compounded into the loss of the life and so that's why there's all these checks and balances and, and it just, just seems sure, like oh god yeah, sorry go ahead i would just okay. say it just seems like every single check didn't get checked off at all right. which is what's alarming in this situation and that's the point christine's trying to make so before anybody on the comics just freak out saying that like we're we're we're, we're trying to pin blame here we're doing the opposite we in fact we don't we're not pinning blame on it yeah. because like you said everything just trickles down so you have no idea what is happening on that set we none of us were there spoiler alert right. none of us we were there <laughs> so we don't know the full understanding of what what truly happened that day or even that set period so um there's there's a lot of missing pieces here but at the same time yes you you have you have all these evidence, responsibilities evidence, yeah you know yeah. and and if you're not following it through with them especially one that just slips through the cracks just one it could end up costing a life and the fact that we're on this film set and I, I watched, I watched the podcast with Kevin Smith talking about this. And he, mm -hmm. he mentioned, he was like, I think we're getting away from the fact that like, we're all not having fun on a film set. He's <laughs> like, yeah, we all, at the end of the day, we got to remember that this is fucking fun. We're, we're, we're supposed doing, to be. Yeah. We're making shit and pretend happen. Why the fuck would you want to have a live ammunition live round when you can easily make it in post that looks right. really good for right it may not be perfect but does it really matter movies are made to and to he spend said that too belief. he right. said that he was like as a guy who don't use guns in movies he's he's very talky he's always he's always has he only has dialogue in his movies it's always like yeah mumblecore with with this guy he was like yeah that's not the point you, you don't you don't want to get a real fucking thing that could jeopardize someone's life just at the expense of, well, it looks cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's fascinating. Cause I, 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 in this instance, without having been on set, I can see where the hierarchy breakdown went awry. And it's what I think for me, what's alarming about this set is how it's broken in every single aspect of safety from the, 
fact that there were crew members who walked because their safety concerns were not addressed is already one huge ass flag. The fact that the armorer did not have experience is another big ass flag. The fact that anybody touched any kind of trigger and was and that the gun was cleared in the first place was is a big right. ass flag, right? So in this case, no matter how uninvolved you are with the logistics of something, as a leader, you are, you need to take some sort of responsibility. And it's the whole thing where I'm like, when I'm an AD, I know that everything is my fault. <laughs> to a certain extent, to a I certain guess. degree. Yeah. That's why ADs have a very short life span, uh, life uh, expectancy, apparently. Um, is extremely stressful and and I'm about to uh, experience that next week with a lot of car work we're about to do things on the street and all that jazz and I'm gonna have to put my foot down on things but like it sucks because I can only tell it from my experience I mean I can tell it from both experiences as a producer and AD nobody's ever going to be happy even when you're super safe people are still not going to be happy because Mm -hmm. Because you're going to say like, all right, I'm going to shut the set down for 15 minutes so we can do the safety stuff. Well, then the producers aren't happy because you just wasted 15 right. to 20 minutes, right? Or, or you um, are low budget, so you weren't able to shut down the street. You know, okay, so in, in lieu of that, you have two PAs that are in safety vests helping out with, you know, stopping the streets when they can well then the sound person's not happy because then there's traffic and there's bad sound and stuff like that so in every direction someone i think that's the hardest part about being in this kind of position of responsibility is that somebody is still not going to be happy no matter how much and you kind of in those situations have to just be like fuck it i know that people aren't going to be happy but if it's going to compromise safety i don't care if you think i I'm a bitch or that like you don't like me because I'm doing this or like I'm not we won't hire me again because we went over for an hour or two because of safety stuff like I don't care like that that's and that's individually what you how you need to take control of future sets is to know what you will or not will or will not sacrifice for the safety of your crew and cast and it goes with producing as well, you know. Um, sacri- it's hard. You sacrifice shots. You cut shots. I and that's what we were doing originally. We cut stuff because cut more things to make it more simple. You know, okay, there's water and it's high and it's fast. There's no effing way I'm going to throw people into that, you know, running water. This is supposed to be a fun film. Like, okay, I get like the water is an important aspect of this the script. But I can rewrite that, right? I can rewrite it and make it work without jeopardizing people's safety. And you know, that's what that's what we did. And but in the moment, it is utterly it's hard. It's mentally, emotionally difficult. One, as a creator, you're seeing like your your thing change. But really, you I think what's the hardest is that knowing that you made these sacrifices and people are still not going to 
support you or be happy or, you know, is the hardest part. And it's just something you just have to live with, you know? Right. Because it's on them at that point. Right. Yeah. Because if they, if you, you, I mean, we don't have the power to change people's minds, but we do have the power to make things right. Right. And we, we have the power to uh, lead by example, especially. Yeah. Um, And if they can't, do that for whatever x reason um it's on them right yeah this it's it sucks yeah being an ad sucks kurt <laughs> yes it is it is a position of high responsibility and um nobody's ever happy with you you're either the fun spoiler because you have to tell everybody to shut the fuck up and keep working or you're the again safety nazi and so producers are mad at you because you took more time to do that um it's a pretty being ad is hard um but i think equally to i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt no please i feel like this is a good point to bring up they equally also understand people especially working on sets like i worked on that don't have a first ad and wish to fucking dear god that i had a first ad on that set I learned to appreciate ADs that tell me to shut the fuck up and stop talking. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't shut my mouth. Sometimes I just, I, I just go running my mouth. And there's a couple of ADs who just have to like turn around and be like, Adam. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, and I know, I know I'm not. And that's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, like you, you got to understand that these people have one specific agenda in their mind, the same agenda that you have. Make the best thing that you can possibly make. And they have their set agenda of responsibilities. You have your set agenda of responsibilities. And the fact that your responsibilities is conflicting with so-and-so's responsibilities, and you're now going to blame the first AD because you can't do your responsibilities, even though they're they're trying to do theirs. You understand what I'm trying to yeah. I'm with this? Like the, I'm not, I'm not saying that people just be nicer, but be fucking aware of the people around you, especially when you know more times than not that the first AD, like Christine says, is usually the first one to get the shin end of the stick. That's just kind of the way it goes. And I mean, that even just saying that just doesn't sound right, but it's sort of true (laughs) because you got to understand, like they're responsible for so much that I don't think people in other departments who never understood, and I never really understood assistant directing departments, but I've worked in plenty of production assistant gigs to witness these first assistant directors really, really go through the fucking gauntlet as opposed to, and I'm not trying to compare apples to oranges here. I'm not saying that one other department head isn't also going through tough shit. I'm sure they are. Everybody is where you're making pretend, but that's the point you're, you're missing. You're making pretend and you're, you're taking this as if Anything anyone tells you that you can't do or that they don't have enough time for acts like it's a it's a shot at your ego. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not because no one's coming after anybody. Right. Nobody. So we're all in this together. And just because, you know, the first AD says, shut the fuck up means that you can't stop talking and you need to stop talking. <laughs> you understand? Like yeah. it, it, it's so fucking simple that it's so hard for even the most simple people can can't wrap their heads around you know and i i understand sometimes you know people just don't want to listen and then sometimes people just want to watch the world burn but you know <laughs> that's neither here nor there i am here in the business and christine's also in the business of making film and making pretend and doing this shit and having fun with it because that's yeah. that's the way it's supposed to be ladies and gentlemen and, yeah uh, nothing Nothing is worth someone's life And all. nothing's worth someone's life, especially making a movie. You know, it's yeah. really, and there's so many ways to cheat, to, to manipulate and, and, and fool the audience to thinking that one thing's another. You know, it's just like movies so much magic that it, it, honestly, you won't even need a lot of people sometimes, you know, depending on right. the script and shit like that. So the fact that, a live gun it's just i don't know ladies and gentlemen it's mind blowing it's mind blowing to me you know that that they that somebody will go well far out of their way to get a prop gun to fire real bullets for the sake of making a cool fucking ass whatever shootout Listen, I get it. I love cool shit just as much as the next guy. You don't understand how much cool shit I love. I love action <laughs> movies. I was raised on action movies. Jackie Chan movie. Jackie Chan's basically my father. <laughs> he raised me in jet. I love action movies so much, but I also know equally how awesome VFX can be and how many movies I was fooled before working in the industry that half of the movies I love with gunfights are all VFX. They're all yeah. VFX. Like most of the gunfights that I love, they're like, oh yeah, that's actually VFX. We put it in post because, you know, the camera department is really close to the fucking shooters. It's not like we're going to have real fucking yeah. bullets shooting past the fucking camera department. Are we idiots? No, we're not. <laughs> yeah. You know? So VFX. Yeah. You know? And, and, and the, this is also, I think, for people who are ADs, that we always just have to remember that in the moment it might be annoying and stressful when you've got certain like crew being like voicing their safety concerns or or asking you to triple check certain things or you know whatever but at the end like i i will always appreciate people who do that that's part of being a part of a production right it's not every man for themselves it is it's everybody looking for the good of the entire team and so for all the times that camera department or sound or somebody freaks out on me about oh we're in the street is this locked down or like hey do we have somebody up there locking down the street or did we check that gun or taser or whatever? Thank you. I think that's you guys doing your part. 
yeah, and that should happen more often. And uh, I think what Russ teaches us is that we all have to, even if it's not our department, we all have to look out for each other on set to ensure that you know, everybody is human. That's, that's when it comes down to it is everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes and mistakes will happen. No matter how much you try to prevent them or plan for them, they will happen. And so when there's more eyes, more ears watching and taking, making each other accountable, that's how we prevent and mitigate a lot of those mistakes. So that also means that I think every, there has to be mutual understanding between the AD and the crew, right? Like, mm. I think if crew can understand a bit of what the AD is going through in terms of what they're trying to do in terms of safety and whatever, and approaching their concerns more as a, hey, just help me out and I just want to double check this. I'm sure you got this, but did you check this? Instead of seeing the AD as someone who's like a bad guy trying to limit their time for their craft and art and all that stuff, I think that would also be a mutually beneficial thing as well. So it's, it's got to be both. You know, the AD's got to be very understanding when these concerns are being voiced and to actually hear it and process and listen I think that's the part that I'm always trying to be better at is you know when you're stressed out you've got like 50 people telling you like it's the street locked up and all this other stuff and then like are there safety vests and all it's a lot mm-hmm. it's a lot to handle but then it's up to me to also be okay to slow down just a little bit so that and be able to push back on any pressure that's on me from the above the line in order to do my job properly. So right. it's, it's a push and pull from all directions. It's a nice balance and push and pull. And uh, I think the best ADs know how to balance that or <clears throat> try at least. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and also have like... Uh, um like a necessary control that doesn't also feel like it's in, impeding on the experience of the set as well. Right. That's also yeah, that's, a delicate balance. Yeah. You know, definitely. Because ultimately, like you said, film set, yes, it is work. We are wow. all working on this and it is our job. Um, it is still a privilege to be able to do something like being on film and make believe and play and it shouldn't be a place where where people forget and forego safety and stress are so stressed out of their minds that it's no longer about human interaction and more about numbers and logistics it should never be that way no yeah it should never so. be about numbers and logistics. And it also should never be about, you know, how, I don't know, how well, whatever, some movie is, is response 
whatever response to someone's movie, you know, also ultimately is backed by a really good set, like a really good crew, you know, and sometimes in order to make a good said good movie, you have to have that great fucking crew behind you because that's half the fucking battle. The other half is the creative side of it is actually executing it. And then also all the other shit that comes with it that will destroy your plans. But then ultimately you have to pivot and, you know, adapt and all that jazz. I feel like a lot of times, even some directors lose touch of what that core privilege is in, yeah. in, in, in that you're making pretend and motherfucker, this is fun. This is fun. I love it. This is, this is my life. And yeah. And it breaks my heart. Every set that I work on that I've seen director and not just directors, like it's, it's honestly, it's every department because the thing is like, you're getting a group of people who are, you know, if you're on a good set, perfectionists and what they're each doing is their art, right? And everything that prevents them from doing their best art seems like a direct attack on their department. Right. But in the end, it's not a and it's not about any one department and that's the thing that people forget it's not about it's really not even about some i mean the end product is important but i think the hardest sets have been on the the suckiest ones have been the ones that forget that only care about the final product and not about the people that have are in that journey to that make journey. that right product i think more so than ever it's the journey that is more important oh but, my god it's, it's, but that i think that but i think that's very hard for people to understand from from the different departments especially from a director standpoint or producer standpoint because they're all about like we want to make a great movie right so i think that's why it's like having worked now for many many years um it's rare to have good set, good movie. That's very hard to have. It's easy to have bad set, good movie. It's ha- easy to have bad set, bad movie. Um, or good set, bad movie. But it's, it's very hard to have good set, good movie. Because there's just so many factors. And it's like... I mean, think about it. Yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones, right? Like my friend worked, yes. on, worked on Game of Thrones and he says it was the worst set he's ever worked on. But we're watching it and we're like, this is the most amazing thing we've ever seen. But my friend is like, yeah, but we're in like working in sub-degree temperatures, like out 15-hour days for months, minimal time off. Yeah, we're creating art, but that's where it ceases to be fun anymore. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fascin it's fascinating. Um, I think, I think about that quite a lot. Um, I, I thought a lot about it on Ursley, um, just because 
for me, when I was directing and producing, the moments when I was truly happy were actually not that much. Um, I was the most, there was moments when I was very, very happy, but the, there is so incredible stress or responsibility when you're doing both that um, that's why I'm like, I don't know if I want to produce and direct again. I, I, I love, I still love directing, but man, when you do both, it really is a conflict of interest most, a lot of the times, you know? So, so? oh yeah. yeah, it's a huge conflict of interest a lot of times because it's like directing, you're like, oh, I, I want to do this scene 50 times until it's right. Oh. Now producing, you're like, no, you have 11 days, right? <laughs> and then- Figure it out, then, stupid. Yeah. yeah, figure it out. Or it's like, well, in my head, this is where it was always shot. But then- the producing it's like well i'm sorry but you all, but it rained and the river is flooded so this is what you have to work with you know so it's a conflict it's always but it i mean that is also what makes movies great right is this like compromise between these two very different factors the art the business um so i don't know it's it's interesting i mean i i felt i didn't see you what I didn't see was you like at all cracking under pressure or feeling like as if you were just overwhelmed. I see you were busy. I see that you are in your world and that you are just in tunnel vision mode. So meaning like, <laughs> mode. you're not, yeah. you're not paying attention to other shit. I've seen you do that, but nothing to the extent of you actually stressing out. And I don't think I've really like, just like I don't think I've ever seen you at your most angriest. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen you at your most stressed because there you cross a threshold to your stress to the point where you take a step back and you just sort of like go in autopilot mode and you're just like, okay, something's wrong, but I'm, I'm really, I need to focus on these 10 problems in front of me first. <laughs> and then, <laughs> And then I'll address everything else around me later, you know, yeah. and I, and I definitely see that. And you, you don't, you don't seem like the type of person that just, you know, like, like you've worked with and I've worked with, and probably even Kelly has worked with so many people, friends of our podcast worked with like producers and directors who are just not that at all. Yeah. I just are the opposite of that. I, I feel like I do deal very well under pressure. So I don't think a lot yeah. of people are able to do that. Um, Kirk has a fun question, which is, can't, uh, but doing both, can't you balance yourself out more instead of bumping heads with someone over the opposite? Yes, mm -hmm. to a degree. But I think what it is, is that what I didn't like was when you're a producer, all the problems always stem from log the logistics. They always boil down to the logistics and how well you plan for those logistics or what outside forces affect those logistics and break them. And when you're dealing with logistics, you're going to deal with unhappy people. And for me, I'm an empath and I soak up all of that unhappiness and it becomes my unhappiness. And then I suffer from that and it, directly impacts the way I feel about when I'm directing. 
and it is will be a dream when I can just watch all that stuff go down and not have to be affected emotionally by it and purely and allow myself to purely just think about directing and I have not had that yet um what's great about when you produce and direct is yes you don't have to rely on anyone as much so you can always count on yourself I know that I will put in the extra 15 hours or whatever and work overtime and work 22 hours a day and I'm okay with that because it's me right and I, I but I cannot expect that and I shouldn't expect that from anybody else because that's not right you know people should be paid for their time and, and energy and everything but when it comes to me I can do that and so when you do both as a producer and director, you have a lot more control on that aspect and that comes with not having the luxury of money. And so for my first film that had a small ass budget, I don't think there would have been any other way that could have been done. Mm. Like that was the way it had to be done. I was the only person who knew this property inside and out. I knew this, how I would schedule my film inside and out and you every single aspect of how I wanted this film. And so there was really no way that I could not be at that involved from a producing standpoint on the film. Um, but I think where I will be able to maybe stand out from it is when it gets too big and there's just no possible way. Like I have scripts that are definitely like the logistics of it are going to be astronomical and there's just, there is physically not possible for me to be involved in every single aspect because I lack the knowledge one and two just don't if I don't relinquish the control then the directing is just going to suffer completely so I think that's right. what I'm trying to say is that like yes you can balance yourself to a certain extent but but then you it's hard for one job or the other to not trickle into each other and then render both neutral or this bad you know like then you're, you're just not good at one or the other you know and I could see that um like I just I, I could see while I was directing Ursley being very emotionally impacted by people's concerns and very valid concerns and complaints you know um and it's hard when it's something you've spent all your time raising the money for and you're emotionally invested in it that these that you can't look at things ob is it objectively objectively anymore yeah. you, you, you just you can't you can't take yourself out from it every little concern becomes an attack a direct personal attack on you and it shouldn't be that way you know so when there's a separation it's no longer that because you're emotionally detached from that process, if that makes any sense. So if somebody else raised the money, if somebody else did the logistics and somebody else, you know, did stuff, if something was wrong with that, it becomes just a problem and not an, and not an actual emotional direct, you know, criticism of yourself as a person. And I think that's the part that I struggled with the most 
on Ursley was that because I was so emotionally tied with every aspect of the process, any kind of problem became a direct reflection of who I was and my abilities as a producer, a director, or even really as a person, you know, it hurt when people would say, oh, the food wasn't good today. Like it, like emotionally hurt, you know, when it, when it, when, if I was just a producer and that was my sole job and the food was bad, I was like, all right, let's go figure it out and fix it. It's just a problem. We're going to fix it. It's fine. You know, it, 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 the emotional aspect isn't tied to it. Right. But because I was so involved with it, just a little fact like that would like spin me out of just, I would feel terrible. I would feel like, oh my gosh, everybody hates me. Or like, like, this is an awful experience for people and I feel really sad about it and stuff like that. And, uh, and that would translate or affect when I would direct because I would not be at my emotionally at the right place. Does that make sense? It makes 100% like, yeah. sense. Because and so you're I already think, broken down. Yes, How I'm already broken already follow down. follow through? Yes. Doing the very thing that you set yourself up to be directing. Yeah. yeah. I that think the job, hardest day yeah, for me hard. on set was the pool day when we we're doing the pool scene. Listen, uh, that was hard for everybody. Yeah. That was hard that, for the that entire was crew. Stupid hard. It, it was, was hard, really hard because like there were things that were not within my control. That's what I was going to say. It was out of your control. There was, yes. there was no way for you to. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there's so much about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't anticipate that. Um, yeah. Despite telling the location 50 million times to fix the pool lights, that the pool lights would but not be you fixed. won't see that in the final <laughs> cut because exactly. it'll look gorgeous. Like, I know. Everybody. Beautiful. <laughs> you see me? Facebook, you would have. No, it looks awesome. But like in the moment, like you're experiencing that, and then you've got an angry DP who refuses to work because because I understand this is this is a direct impact on his or her, you know, art, and yeah. and and it's an insult to that, you know. And and sure, I get that. And then so now I'm feeling bad because the pool lights aren't working, and I'm also feeling bad because the crew is wondering like why the F we aren't shooting because the set's been stopped because the DP won't refuses to work because he's angry because of this situation. And then on top of that, I'm still dealing with girls in the pool who are cold as fuck and like trying to make it look like she can swim like a mermaid and there's pool lights and we have limited amount of time. It's also an overnight. People are already angry and sad and, and tired and it all boils down and it's all, it's a lot to take when it's like, it feels like it's all your fault, you know? Yeah. So, well, because it's, it, you feel like the cards are stacked against you. Yeah. And I, and I, and I understand against that. You. Yeah. I, I completely understand. Yeah. I, I, that's not what I saw on this set, but. That's good. <laughs> I understand, right. But I think I can say that and speak on behalf of a lot of people on that set now i can't speak on everybody for sure i'm sure whatever but that was hard day period end of story that was just yeah. a hard day and yeah as a result of that short it felt like the cards were stacked against you but 
that only made you so much bigger because, or so much better, that much better. Because through the rest of the days, it it didn't it didn't feel like that fucking pool day. Yeah, I can assure you, that was the worst. <laughs> that was the worst. And then it was maybe maybe mildly better. The the finale. Maybe. The finale was hard, but for me, honestly, for but me, it was, I was more hard for you than it was for the crew. The crew yeah, like set their I, shit up, and then you and Isaiah were coordinating and shit, and then you know, the talent. Yeah, of course, it was hard for I them. Think, of course, for but. me, it wasn't the finale. The finale was logistically insane, but was, I felt prepared. Like I felt by that time. We all had worked out our differences and we knew how we each were and we knew what our environment was like and we knew that we had just had to deal with it emotionally and physically. And we were just excited that that was the last thing we were shooting and we were about to be done. So by that point, it was, I felt it went, I thought the finale went very smooth just despite the fact that there, the, the beach was flooded, everything that had blocked was basically thrown in the trash can and but that's where the strength of the crew came in like you guys gave me the time to be with the cast to rehearse you know and then you guys went and took took the responsibility of getting all those pickups that we needed um off on your own you know you know france killer francis um ran that and and got what we needed and i trusted that you know so by that time i trusted things were working and and, and then striker had come onto his own it was you know taking charge and everything so so at that point i think that was the one day that i did not have a walkie i think that was the only day i did not have a walkie yeah uh, remember i like took it off and i was like i, I literally can't like here you go I trust that you guys have learned everything that you need to know up to this point for this exact moment. Well, you wouldn't and, understand how infuriating it would be because we're literally asking specifically first AD questions. And every so often, <laughs> Chrissy would just chime in on the walkie to answer production questions to the point where like, I like, that's what I wanted to, that's why I wanted Nikki on the pod because I wanted to, point out the fact how many times did Christine chime in on the walkie when really it was like a question just for production in general. And Christine's like, yeah, it's over there. It's over at the, the, uh, uh, the, the barn over at the barn. We're going to be at the barn. Like you, you already had like, that's the thing that so many people don't understand that I wish they understand about you, Christine is how well you work. It's almost like you have a photographic memory and you just you you just understand exactly exactly where everything's supposed to go even though it feels chaotic it feels like everything's just sort of all over the place but for some fucking reason it all somehow comes together i don't know how you do it probably by wizardry i'm assuming <laughs> but all the all the all the less you you get it done it, it it's all it's all got done we still got that pool shit done we got it done we still exactly. got it done, regardless if you felt like your pride and your your happiness was destroyed. <laughs> I understand you were just sad. You know, you're just sad. You're a sad girl sitting by the pool, just you know, like. Yeah. But all in all, it's still you still it made it done. happen. You still you yes. still got it through, and we're able to laugh about it. We're able to yeah. just understand that 
this was just stupid. And and all the other people who did give a shit about it and also took this way too seriously, go fuck yourself. Like shut <laughs> up. We're we're all we're all making pretend. We're all having fun, and we're also a bunch of fucking idiots too. We're not even listen. Even the most highly regarded, most well respected of any crew member, whatever you can be part of any fucking union, you can still be an asshole and an idiot. You know, it's still, it's still nonetheless, we're all dumb. So we're all make mistakes and we're human. We yeah. all inherently make mistakes. Yep. So I honestly, I mean, I look forward to more shit, doing shit like that, you know, because I, I mean, know- we came out of battle and we survived and that film is, do- is about to be done. Like it really is. Like, I think uh, by the end of December, it's going to be done, done, done. Like no, no mix, like completely done. And oh, uh, it's it's uh, scheduled tentatively to be released in May. So mm-hmm. the, for the fact that we did all that with with pre product with production pre production and post production for two hundred twenty five thousand, and get it all done within a year, and that's what it is from creation to delivery within a year is pretty freaking like amazing about our team. So. I'm very proud of us. Um, yeah. And, and we're proud of you, Christine. I'm and we've grown. We've grown a lot. Yeah. And, and now we know what to do and not what not to do next time. So. While yeah. also making other mistakes that are just inevitable. And oh, yeah. We're people. Only, of course, it's always it only doesn't mistakes. It doesn't kill us. It's just, it's just going to make us make that us much smarter, smarter, you know, yes. and that much more prepared for next time. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you though, like, uh, unless do you have a hard out? Because no, it'll be this we, can last go, we can go for another like ten. Go ahead. So I just want to ask you why. So why that gap? So you say you're finishing in December, but it won't be released till May. Yeah. So. So is that a distribution thing? Yeah. So what happens no. is that they're they they when you deliver your stuff. So I have to deliver all my materials by February. Um, yeah. Technically. I, if I wanted to release this film in February, I would have had to really, to deliver everything by, by December. Um, But it was like December, like 20th or something that's already passed, basically. Um, We were trying, I was trying very hard to, if I wasn't on a feature, 27 day long feature, I might have been able to make that. But I realized very quickly that that was unrealistic for my sanity and mental health. So I had to push back. Like I had to really think about it because there is always this fear, right? Like, oh, if I don't, if I don't take this opportunity and seize it now, it's never going to come back, you know? Right. And I got past that really quickly and, you know, told Han, uh, Han our executive producer, like, hey, dude, I know you want these materials like today, basically, but I'm literally on set right now. 22 people cast members ask me questions plus another 50 crew members and I have barely had enough sleep and I'm going to do my power to go home and work on all these deliverables but I can tell you that I am not confident that I can get it done and and I I flat out it it hurt to say it but I've told him if this means that this deal is done I'm sorry but then I'm okay with that you know, I had to tell him that I was like, if, if, if this means that I will have to go look for other distribution, 
or whatever I understand because like you you guys are just trying to do your job but like I really physically mentally cannot do it anymore and I think he they went and did some negotiations or whatever and they really want this so so they're like okay we can push it to February as a deliverable and then we release which will would mean that your release wouldn't be until May and I was like I'm cool with that (laughs) that's awesome yeah because then you just you have I want to say you have ample amount of time but you have time (laughs) you have time kind of to uh yeah, to, to just get everything you need done. That's awesome, Christine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it takes it takes a lot, especially when it comes to the back end of, of post production. It's really like it's also a daunting fucking task that yeah. you know, regular crew members don't have to deal with. It's hard. <laughs> but unfortunately, producers and directors yeah. have to deal with it. <laughs> it was yeah. Getting through this is one of the hardest things I've ever done so far. Um, I bet. And but what's great, this is this is insider information, was that I had showed I showed the remember when we had the podcast and the crew was there because we were there to do a screening at mm-hmm. Ben's house. Well, Ben said that his parents really actually enjoyed the film and that his dad is now like, hey, if she has something else down the pipeline that he would be willing to invest in me and i thought that was damn cool like at least i got that right so it's well, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the right trajectory so for him to be able to say that like i'm like okay cool so he was been like ben's like so like you're i told him about the description he told me about about the there was a wine one and stuff like he's interested in that one and so like if you're so who knows? Maybe the next opportunity will come a lot faster than we think it will. So holy shit! You hear that, yeah. ladies and gentlemen? We're not fucking done. We are not done yet. <laughs> we're we're very far away from being. I'm very far away from being yes. done. Christine seems to be very far away from being done. Oh no, uh, we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, no, we're just we're just we're warming up, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, and yeah, we're we're still gonna have more adventures. We're still gonna have more episodes. Um, but speaking of episodes, I think our time is coming to an end, Christine. Yes. Um, because I have to ten one real bad. All good. Um, and I've got to go and eat and get ready to go see Dune. <gasps> You're gonna see Dune? Yeah, and I'm I'm so stoked. I um. Oh really? I just bought my Spider-Man ticket too. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It'll be the first time I'm back to the movie theaters in a big bad fucking way. Yeah, I haven't seen a movie the entire year. Neither have I. It's just it's just been very sad. Friends' homes and my home, and that's it. Yeah. So. Um, that's it, All ladies right. and gentlemen. Tune in next week for another episode of the podcast of Get Realism's podcast. Get your books do i have to say anything more ladies and gentlemen get your books yes order them we have our holiday specials are still going on right now they're really good for christmas gifts if you don't know about it also we got like four it it, accidentally but our international sales are open as well um and i think we're going to keep them open it was an accident but um you hear that worldwide worldwide 
we're ready yeah. to go. We're ready to go. Those worldwide. pink packages are coming to you. Mm -hmm. So we uh, have uh, one going to France, to UK, to Austria, to Australia. So right now, it's pretty cool. That's fucking dope. You see that, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, Christine's an international businesswoman. So mm -hmm. without further ado, this has been the Get Realism podcast, earlyfilm.com for all your previous Get Realism uh, season three episode needs. Uh, we have episodes, we have audio episodes updated in Spotify. So if you want to go back and listen to some stuff while you're driving, while you're commuting, you want some time to pass, I want to hang out with a couple of uh, film nerds and see, see what's happening. Get on the Get Realisms on Spotify and all your uh, podcasting needs. And um, yeah. Yeah. Getrealisms.com. Pick up a poster, pick up a book, pick up everything. Um, Please. And thank you for those who participate. Thanks, Kirk. We, we love it when you listen and give comments. Shout out to Kirk 101. Yeah. Shout out You're to awesome, you, Kirk. Dude. We appreciate you. We love, yeah. we love seeing you chime in on the comments. We love it. Keep going. And to everyone else, especially anybody on Facebook who's been keeping up with us, we love you as well. We haven't forgot about you. But if you want a good experience, go on our Instagram live. You can comment where we can see the comments there and stuff. Uh, we're going to try to figure out a way to simplify all this shit, but that requires time and maybe <laughs> money that Christine and I don't have. Don't have. So, so <laughs> yet. we're not yet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, There's one yes. or the other. It's like I have money and then I have no time. And then I have time, but no money. <laughs> right. Uh, all right, guys. All right, gang. That's been real. Uh, thank you for the Get Real podcast for tuning in every week. We appreciate all of you guys. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, Instagram. Goodbye. Bye.